Welcome to Women in the Arena podcast, the podcast celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and our mission is to elevate the value, strength, and resilience each woman brings to the world. Without further delay, let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone. I am so glad you're here. I am Audra Egan, your host of Women in the Arena podcast, where we celebrate women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We have yet another remarkable woman here today that I can't wait for you to meet. Thanks for joining me, and let's start the show. Welcome in, everyone. I am so happy that you're all here. I am very excited to introduce to you yet another wonderful, fascinating woman. And yes, I realize I say that every week, but every week I'm really excited to introduce to you yet another remarkable human being. This week is of no exception. This week, my guest is Victoria Williams, and she is amazing. She has a very diverse background and she's had the opportunity to live all over the world, which has given her a global perspective on life. She serves on numerous nonprofit organizations and she is a manager of a global financial institution. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Victoria Williams. Vicki, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Audra. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is. It, the pleasure is all mine. And I did not give your full resume because it is really long and, and we're only a 40-minute <laughs> <so> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're a character. Oh, my goodness. So, well, I'm in my 50s, so I've had a long time creating that resume. <laughs> and you know what? That's the greatest way to do it. Uh, what I'd love to do is have you allow us to get to know you a little bit better. So would you mind giving us and the audience a little bit more information about yourself? Sure. I am a mother of three young adults, uh, soon to be 25, soon to be 23 and 21. My nest is almost empty. Um, Right now, the only people who are home with me during this pandemic are my 21-year-old son and our four-and-a-half-year-old Wamaraner, Lucy. Uh, So we have actually a fairly quiet household, um, but I am very active in the community. I am um, still great friends with my husband, as I call him, um, and we tend to do things together as a family, um, even though we've been divorced for six years. So uh, I am just a very joyful person. I like to be positive and surround myself with positive people. So that's why I stay involved. That's fantastic. And husband is an, is an amazing moniker. <laughs> Everyone I'm keeps telling sure. me I should trademark it, but they, they were like, oh my gosh, that's so much better than ex-husband. <laughs> it totally is. And that is, I don't think I've ever heard that. So yes, you should tra- trademark that. Hurry up and do it quick before this airs. <laughs> so, so thank you for letting us get to know you a little bit more. And, and today's topic is a very personal one to you. And it's one that we can all relate to on some level, but for you, this is ex- exceptionally personal. And mm. today's topic is regarding belonging. 
Yes, Mia. Can you tell us a little bit more about why this is so personal and important to you? I, of course, thank you. Um, I think I'll start back a few decades. So when I was eight years old and my sister, who I like to call my Irish twin, who's because she's only 14 months older than I am. Um, so when she was nine, we were at our grandmother's and we were actually living at our grandmother's because my father is in the army or was in the army and he was on an unaccompanied tour. So sometimes we would go and live with my mom's mom while he was overseas. And my mom and grandma and aunt had called us in from playing outside because this was back when kids played outside all day. And they took me back to, and my sister back into our mom's room and they explained to us our adoption story. And my mother shared that they had had lots of problems conceiving. And when they finally had given birth to a baby girl who only lived for about eight hours, their doctor suggested that they look into international adoption because they were living in Germany at the time. Now, my mom and dad had already adopted their nephew and um, he was 10 years old. And so they followed their OBGYN's advice and connected with an adoption agency. And they went through the process of um, finding my mom, who was pregnant with me, and um, attempting to adopt me. So I was able to go and live with them when I was five months old. And throughout the process of adoption, they learned through their interpreter had an unadoptable sister. Now, my is one of those ladies who, you know, did the lunch counter sit-ins with other African-Americans back in the 50s and 60s and first responded, there's no such thing as an unadoptable child. And so she said she needed to go to the orphanage to meet my sister, which she did. My sister was gorgeous, by the way, still is. And they decided then and there that they were going to adopt two little girls instead of one. So they would go from a family of one to a family of pretty much instantly. Um, There was a while that they took for waiting, but go ahead. You had a question. I do. So you didn't know that you were adopted prior to that until you were eight. Exactly. And it's because my mother and dad are very diverse in their background. We, we like to call ourselves United Nations. So my mom is half Native American, Korean, Blackfoot, Indian, and African American and Caucasian. And my dad is Trinidadian and um, African American. And so they have a very diverse family. They're, we've got Cousins with blonde hair and blue eyes, all the way to very dark skin with dark eyes and straight hair or curly hair. So we truly fit in with all of our family. We had no idea we were adopted until they told us. Um, You just knew you were loved. uh, Exactly. And even to this day, there's no distinction. Um, Our cousins and um, family, no one ever makes that distinction that the two of us were adopted. Um, We're just family um, and they love us and they chose us. And, you know, ironically, my mom did get pregnant as often is the case um, during our adoption process and literally went into labor on the courthouse steps um, the day that our adoptions were finalized and ended up having her baby sister early in the morning of the next day. So yeah, my mom took home three little girls, had three little girls in diapers at the same time within an um, age range of three years and a 10 year old. So Your mom's a hero. <laughs> she is my hero. She really is. She's amazing. Um, but yes, you know, they, they always let us know that we were chosen, that we were loved. And that really was my first example of really truly belonging and and you know that Maslow's need um, in the hierarchy for love and belonging in your family for intimacy and that sense of connection was something we always had so like I said this this topic of belonging it started with you very young you and you got to be 
chosen, uh, which mm-hmm. is a beautiful sentiment uh, when you are adopted, that you were picked rather than, you know, happenstance. Mm-hmm. So this theme of belonging has has carried with you for your throughout your life. Oh my so, gosh, a tattoo. <laughs> yeah. How how has it evolved and what how has it changed throughout the years and as you have changed? What is it what did sure. it mean to you then and what does it mm-hmm. mean to you now? Uh, uh, back then with family, of course, I just meant that sense of security that we had and love and belonging and knowing that no one ever saw us as different than our younger sister, who was their only uh, biological child. Being in a military family, we moved a lot. And I actually, by the time I graduated from U of A, because you and I are both Wildcats, bear down. We are. Go um, Cats. <laughs> go Wildcats. Um, by the time I graduated with my um, bachelor's, I had gone to 13 different schools. So not counting kindergarten, but 13 different schools, elementary, middle school, high school, and university. So we moved, we moved a lot. A lot and, especially is. as a teenager. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. has had those awkward teenage years. And it's hard. I, I don't mm-hmm. care who you are, how normal you are or not. But, you know, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. Because it is hard when you're always the new person, there's always that sense of, do I belong? Do I fit in? I literally started my last semester of high school at a new school because I had been in an exchange program. One of the wonderful things I had been able to do and had um, qualified for the merit scholarship. So I had to finish high school and I ended up going to a Department of Defense school just the last semester. And wow. yeah, I was lucky, you know, that um, we had some people who had been at other duty stations with us who were there who were also seniors. So I knew a couple of people and my younger sister, but no one else going into my last semester of um, senior high school. So, you know, it was a challenge, but it was fun. I mean, I was one of the leads in the um, school musical. I ended up being voted in as prom queen, which dashed the hopes of a lot of cheerleaders trust believe um well but good on you <laughs> <laughs> but I was that ner- but I was the nerd who was just the one who got along with everyone and and I had like I said been to so many schools before that I learned how to at first sit back and observe see what the different social um, cliques were figure out if I fit into any of them usually not um maybe sometimes the government you know kids because I was always into student government um but that was always my MO. Um, when I was in college in Germany, um, I finished university, um, the two-year program that University of Maryland had there in three semesters. And so it was actually coming to Arizona to visit my then boyfriend's family for the first time. You and followed a boy. I followed a boy from Germany to Arizona. Yes. <laughs> Stupid of me, but it, it happened. And quite frankly, it was the worst thing at the time, but it's turned out to be one of the best things that's ever happened to me. On the second day that I got here, he dumped me. (laughs) My first boyfriend, he took me 300,000, you know, 3,000 miles away from my family. And on day two, he decided that he was in love with the idea of us rather than me. And so I had a challenge. I mean, I found myself in a state I'd never lived in, hot, which was something I was not used to. And, um, you know, I decided that I, again, was going to make a, a place for myself. And I applied to U of A and ASU. And, of course, I picked the better school. <laughs> yes, you did. Sorry, um, sorry, ASU. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, my, um, I have lots of friends and family who went to ASU. It's okay. Um, but, I, you know, I went to uh, U of A. First day on campus, as I shared with you earlier, again, God is wonderful. I I am a strong believer that he guides our footsteps. First day that I'm in the student union, downstairs across from the bagel shop, sitting at a table by myself, 
this six foot five guy slams his hands down on my table, looks me in the eye and says, hey, Vicky Laurie, because that was my maiden name, Laurie, L-A-U-R-I-E. And he goes, I know you. And I looked at him because I didn't recognize him. And he said, I'm your cousin. And I'm like, I don't know this guy is my cousin. But then he explained that his mother was a sister of my granddad's new wife. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he played on the football team and he was this huge personality. And he just made it easier for me to, again, once again, feel like I had some sort of connection, um, some true belonging in a place where I had no one else. So um, again, you know, it's that really thing of, for me, um, while that belonging is important when you're looking at your connections to your family, to your community, I've always found that for me, true belonging, um, as Brene Brown says, is that practice of believing in and belonging to myself um, and yes. belonging to myself so deeply that I can share my authentic self with anybody that I come across. Um, and so it doesn't require me to change who I am. It, I'm going to be me authentically and bring that full person to work every day, bring that full authentic true self to my interactions and relationships with others. and. It's something that I think a lot of companies are starting to look at. You know, in the past, we've focused on diversity and numbers, you know, and looking at the differences that people have from either um, standpoint of race or gender or sexual orientation, religion, ethnicity, those kinds of things. And they were always in the past focused on numbers. Now, companies are starting to look more so at inclusion and then going beyond that, understanding that we have to move to belonging um, and, you know, in addition to that equity. So companies are really focusing on belonging. I can tell you that American Express, I think, is going to be um, a company that I will look to in the future. Um, I just heard I heard that their CEO is coming out with some plans that are going to make some big changes in that company. So one to watch out for. So, so you have taken your personal experience of belonging, being chosen, and and by the way, your cousin identifying you in the the crowd there in the student union, that is being chosen and belonging again, which is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've taken all of that and you are putting it to good use, not only in your professional life, but in your personal life uh, with, with these uh, nonprofits and how you serve the community. So how have you brought that experience and that mission that you are clearly on of the sense of belonging, how have you brought that forward and how are you giving that to these various organizations that you, uh, that you're on their boards for? Um, So my mom and dad always taught us that giving back volunteerism is just something that you do. Um, my, my kids were the same way, you know, they had to go with us to church or they had to, um, work with my older daughter worked at hospice at one point, but we were always thought that just giving back is something that you do. And, um, so as a result, as my kids got a little older and they could start going to these kinds of, um, service events with me, we started taking them to those, um, whether at Christ church of the Valley, or like I said, with um, hospice of the Valley and, I had always, or soup kitchens, my, my kids were so silly. They loved working at um, the soup kitchens down, downtown and being able to help people to get food because their dad and I are such foodies and we love to cook. So that was something that they did enjoy doing. But when it comes to the 
nonprofits that I, I work with currently. Um, the Valley of the Sun United Way Women's Leadership Council is one that's near and dear to my heart. And I appreciate them just because they support so many different programs in the community. Um, they surprised me one year and named me their woman of the year. Um, but, you know, I just appreciate that they run very efficiently, that their focus is on women and children and education. And um, when I became part of the African-American Leadership um, Institute a couple of years ago, I connected with the young lady, Roisha Banks, who was a spitfire. She works um, um, in the so- social um, services field, and she was on the board for the Valley, um, excuse me, of the um, YWCA. And their mottos, um, their mission is to eliminate racism and poverty. And she suggested that I get involved with them. And and that has been, for the last year, something that has taken up some of my time and energy. And they really are focusing to make Arizona um, a state that, you know, tends to be one that um, we rank in the lower um, numbers when it comes to things like child poverty and education and um you know, we have problems here with um, sex trafficking, and those are some of the things that they focus on. They focus on women um, gaining equity when it comes to home ownership and um, looking at their financials um, in that situation to be more savvy when it comes to managing their money. So there are a lot of practical things that they do, which I appreciate. And so unfortunately, right before COVID, I was going through training with them so that I could um, do some more um, training of women who are dealing with, you know, financial um, issues, being lower income, and some just recently moving into the workforce professionally. But we're doing a lot. I mean, even with my work, um, where we work with you, mom, we work with Maggie's Place. So um, in a couple of weeks, I'm excited that we're actually in in about a week and a half, we're going to be doing some virtual training with Maggie's Place with some of the um, people who are living there as residents and going through some of their training programs. So even with COVID, you know, we can give back. Um, and it's just something that's important to me. The other nonprofit that I'm a uh, development board member is Elevate Phoenix. And I met development board director and she blew my socks off. She's another woman you want to meet. Um, Jasmine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jasmine has more energy than a three-year-old and she is so A three-year-old on sugar. Put, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I first met her at Christ Church of the Valley because she and her husband, um, Tony, are coaches in the children's ministry. And I'm a coach in the children's ministry as well um, for their Midtown campus. And she lives in my older sister's neighborhood and I only learned this recently, but she is just one of those people who she's infectious. You just cannot help but smile and just feel this warmth that she emanates when you're around her. So she convinced me to join the development board for Elevate Phoenix. And when she told me their mission, there was no doubt that I was going to join. They work with the Phoenix Union High School District. And historically, the Phoenix Union High School District has had really low graduation rates. I mean, we're talking low 50th percentile, 40th percentile for their um, graduation rates, which is abysmal. And just in the um, eight years or so that they've been here in the Valley, they've increased the graduation rates for the schools that they're in to 99%. And that's 100- remarkable. That's, it's re- crazy ridiculous, right? You just, that's, that's unheard of. Um, and they focus not just on getting um, their graduates from high school into college, but also into vocational programs and helping them 
to gain the skills that they'll need in order to get a real life job. And then they have a summer bridge program that helps them to prepare and get their first college class under their belt. So, I mean, they're just doing so many wonderful things that I, you know, I'm proud to be a part of the board for Elevate Phoenix. These, all of these amazing organizations that I can hear in your voice that you're drawn because all of these organizations represent those people that don't have a community, a built-in community. They don't have a belonging. Mm-hmm. They're they're outside of uh, of belonging into an organization. And, and those are the the obvious things that you can identify and say, you know, we can help them through charities and what have you. But what about women that are in plain sight, that are are, are you know? corporate individuals like <laughs> yourself and I that that don't feel like they have a sense of belonging or a sense of community because it happens. That is mm-hmm. a very, very real thing that there are women out there, like I said, in plain sight that mm-hmm. don't feel like they belong and they feel like they're untethered from a community. How mm-hmm. would you help them? Well, what I do at work currently is um, make sure that I participate. Most companies do have employee relationship groups. And when I first joined the company that I work with now 11 years ago, the first thing I did was to look to see which employee relationship groups I had an affinity for, whose missions I believed in. And I became involved with our women's interest network. And at the time when I first joined the company, it had was, you know, it had gone through the space of in the past being a baby network and doing well. And then it lost leadership. And there was one lady who Chris, Chris Ortega, I remember she's moved on to um, and she was doing everything on her own to try to keep this network alive. And so I just jumped in, you know, hands and feet first and decided I would help her and did some emotional intelligence training with her um, that we gave to the group and just did all that I could. And later I um, actually went through an interview process and was chosen to be a co-lead for that women's interest network. But something that I personally have always done is develop other women. And I make time for mentoring, um, whether it's just a, you know, a 30 minute coffee chat, you know, where we would, you know, go to Starbucks and meet up. And I would always try to reach across different business groups um, within the organization, because I guess I'm one of those people too. When you meet me in person, I'm just a bubbly and happy, joyful energy personality, but I'm also very strategic and I drive good results. um, And I excel for meeting my key performance indicators on my work. So I feel like I have to give back. I, and I, and I don't want to cry, but I think it goes back to being that young lady who spent 13 years in Germany who was blessed to be raised by an American family who loved me so much that they chose me, like you said. And I have seen African-American or African mixed race kids in Germany who didn't have the same advantages that I had. And I know it was only in the late 1960s, but still it wasn't even a generation removed from World War II. And there were still people who, you know, my biological mother's family, you know, one who did not want to have mixed race children reminding them Um, of the horrors of World War II and the Aryan mission. So I've just always been a person who's felt that as long as I have the energy, which I have an abundance of, 
I'm going to pour into others to develop them, to help them to reach their goals, to listen, to see them. Um, you know, when I did diversity training, we shared that there is an African tribe that doesn't have a word for hello. They don't have that word for hi that most, you know, languages have. Their word is, I see you. Wow. Right. Do you know what the word is? I don't even, I don't even remember it now. It's been, I mean, it's been like 20 years since I did this training, but. But how profound. It's not, it's not hi, hello. It's I see you. And, And isn't that ultimately what all of us really want is to be seen? Exactly. And to feel that sense of connection. And like I said, belonging and that someone cares about you, about what makes you get up in the morning, about what, you know, excites you, what, what brings creation out of you, that sort of thing. So I've been that kind of leader as a people leader. And um, as a mom, (laughs) I can tell Mm -hmm. you, I laugh. People think I have the strangest relationships with my adults because they tell me everything more than I want to know sometimes. (laughs) Um, But I think that if you can have a relationship with someone without judgment, and you know that they accept you wholly for all the nooks and crannies and the ugly spots. Um, but then they want you to grow and they want to help you to reach your full potential. That's all we all really want, you know. How, how would you say or how would you advise someone? I mean, you've given great advice on how to be a mentor, but how would you advise those that are looking for a mentor? To, and they want to be a mentee. And, mm-hmm. and many, many organizations do have these employee relationships groups, but some organizations don't. They don't. Mm-hmm. But how, how would you advise um, a woman that is looking to be mentored, to be taken under somebody's wing and help, helped along a little bit? Because re- the reality is, is that Every one of us, whatever role we're in, whatever position we're in, we we got there a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. We got there being, you know, just sheer brute force, being stubborn and just keeping our heads down and looking forward. But we also got a little bit of kindness and a little bit of help along the way that helped mm-hmm. push us forward. All, every single one of us, we might have all have worked very, really hard to get wherever we're at but we didn't do it completely by ourselves on our own. Correct. So how, how would you advise those women that are just like, I I just need somebody to take me under my wing. (laughs) How do I, how do I do that? How do I approach that? So what would Mm -hmm. you say to them? I would say first clarify what your goals are. Do you want to learn something new? Are you getting advancement? Do you want to be a people leader? And then I would suggest you do things first to develop yourself because I have always felt like development is something that you need to be self-responsible for. So for example, um, I'm not a natural extrovert. I, um, when I was a kid, my mom made me take drama classes so that I could be out more, you know, and I, so I was one of those theater geeks, but it also propelled me into other things like debate, for instance, student government, those kinds of things. And as a natural introvert, who's learned to be more of an ambivert, I did things like joined um, a Toastmasters group. Uh, They asked me to lead and I ended up going on and doing well at Toastmasters and getting my designation as a competent communicator. But Toastmasters really helped me because you'd be amazed at 
how much confidence it gives you, not only in public speaking, but just in your interactions. And then I would share that if there's someone whom you admire, if there's someone who you would like to emulate because there are qualities that you see in them that you either identify with yourself or ones that you want to gain to add to your toolbox, then reach out. Don't be fearful because you would be amazed at how many women and men um, in leadership positions save time on their calendars for people for those kinds of informational meetings. Uh, I've met with vice presidents, executive vice presidents before, and no one has ever balked at giving me a half an hour of their time. So I would say start out that way. Um, get on their calendar. Like I said, have a coffee with them or a tea or just, you know, an informational meeting and let them know what your goals are. Let them know what you admire about them and see how they can help you to become a even more effective and um, productive version of yourself so that you can, when, you know, things are thought about in the future, your name might be brought up because they are getting to know you. I'd also suggest volunteering. It's crazy how many companies have volunteer programs, service programs that people don't take advantage of, but there are leaders who are always involved in those volunteer efforts. So you might one day be laying a concrete driveway for a new playground uh, with alongside an executive vice president, and they saw your work effort there. They talked to you on the breaks. They got to know you as a person, but that's not an opportunity that you would have had just normally if you hadn't volunteered for that project. So, so be active is what you're saying. Take, take, take management. Charge. <laughs> yeah. Take charge, take management of that initiative and start it. Take it one, one step in front of the other and mm-hmm. you never know what you might get. Um, mm-hmm. You are taking your sense of belonging one step further you are currently studying to be a civics rights attorney. You're so sweet. So I'm studying for the bar right now. And I'm Yay! trying to figure and I'll be, I'm, you're so cute. No, and this is, this is, I'm being creative because being, I, you're being I'm, creative. I'm being creative. You're like, oh, I just I'm think I'll be creative. an attorney because I want to be creative. <laughs> no, well, I'm being creative because ASU had a part-time program um, and they got rid of it. And unfortunately, there is no way right now to go to law school on a part-time basis. So uh, we did have a university that lost its accreditation here a couple of years ago. And um, I know, I actually know quite a few attorneys who um, got their juris doctorates from that university. Um, But ASU got rid of their program. So I, um, at the advice of some friends, (laughs) have decided that the way that I can probably do this because Arizona allows it is to actually just study for the bar and see if I can pass it without law school right now. Um, If I can do that on the first or second or third try... (laughs) (laughs) Um, then I will, you know, start doing that. But if not, you know, I think that I'm going to be a young retiree. Um, I've been very wise. um, And as long as the stock market doesn't do a crash like 1929, I'll probably be able to retire in the next nine or 10 years. Um, So That's awesome. Yeah. So then I'll, then I'll, if necessary, uh, go the route of traditional law school and, you know, get that debt and um, have to pay it off, um, of course. But yeah, that's where I'm going now. But I have always, my mom can tell you, 
have always had a passion for social justice. I am currently our social action chairperson um, at my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated at our Tempe Alumni Chapter. And I have always been of the mindset that, you know, civic involvement is important. Um, In fact, I just became a U.S. citizen in 2002 and I've been voting in every single election since 2002, and I'm proud to say that. Yes. Congratulations, um, first, on being a citizen, and second of all, taking your, <laughs> your citizenship very seriously. Uh, yes, and I've worked on different political campaigns and voter registration efforts, and this year our sorority is focusing on, um, of course, voter registration efforts and then census completion because, ironically, we're still not at 60% for our census here in Arizona and many states. And I don't think many people understand just how important being counted is and how much it affects not only your uh, districts with regards to your representation um, in Congress, but also with the infrastructure for your city and um, for your state with regards to your hospitals and your schools and the funding for so many different social welfare programs that if you live in Arizona, you don't have to worry about being a uh, green card holder or a naturalized U.S. citizen or a, you know, citizen by birth. As long as you live at a residence or even on the street in Arizona, you need to be counted. So I think that we just, you know, probably want to remind people that being counted in the census is something that we only get to do once every 10 years, but it means so much from a financial standpoint for federal funding. It is literally being counted as to where you belong. Mm-hmm. It it literally is, and exactly <laughs> what and, and I, I knew that you had this this passion for belonging, but this has really carried you through your entire life, and you you exhibit it, you exercise it, you absolutely live it. This sense of belonging with your heart mind and soul every single day. And I thank you for that because we need Mm. more human beings on this planet that do that, that, that believe in this sense of belonging and are active in this sense of belonging. So you can include others in your community. And I thank you for that. Mm, Thank you for involving women in the arena. I appreciate you. I, this is, this is a passion of mine and what I am doing with your help and every one of my guests' help is I'm creating a community, just as you had described before. This is a community of women that we can see ourselves as valuable. Mm -hmm. I can give each and every one of my guests a platform to Mm -hmm. express who they are and what they bring to the table, like yourself, and then maybe encourage and inspire others. And I'm really hoping that by your conversation with me today, that you inspire others, especially those that feel like they don't belong. And maybe they'll they'll hear and say, you know, all I need to do is take one step because someone on the other end is just waiting to be a mentor. Yes. Yes. You never know. You'll never know Mm -hmm. if you don't try. You'll Mm -hmm. never know. Exactly. Um, I, like I said, I am so appreciative of you taking the time to talk to me about this very personal topic of belonging, because we all live with that to whatever degree it is, 
we all have to admit to ourselves that we all want this sense to belong somewhere to someone. So thank you for being Mm -hmm. so incredibly open and vulnerable to discuss this. Um, Before I let you run, these are the same (laughs) questions I ask everybody. Everybody should should know what I'm going to ask. (laughs) Be prepared. There is a test. Oh my goodness. My first question is, what are you currently reading? So I am one of those people who probably has three books going at the same time. Um, but on my desk right now is um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me. I read his first novel and this one came highly recommended. So I'm just enjoying learning more um, from him. Wow. So what's the other two? What other two are you oh, reading Oh, you're right so now? cute. <laughs> Really? Um, so um, one that I just finished up is by a new author who I met, and it's called Who Killed Nikolai? It's by uh, Mr. Sebastian Cardin. And it's a, a, it's a really interesting um, romance novel. It kind of reminds me of um, The Prayer of Owen Meany, because it's from the the mind of a young man as he's growing up. And his father died of cancer when he was like, four or five. And he thought his father told him to be the best lover of women. And um, I won't give it away, but it's just a really sweet um, story. Um, Of course, you know, it's fiction, um, but everybody uh, needs a good fiction. Yeah. Everybody needs a good fiction novel. You need something to escape, especially right now, because there's no escape from our current reality. Um, So um, do you have a third one that you're reading? Uh, the third one that I've owned forever and I'm just picking up is a heavy one. And um, it's one that I know many people who care about um, just our society and black men. Um, it's called Makes Me Want to Holler by Nathan McCall. And it's thick, but it's but it's a heavy read. And so I'm just starting that one. Yeah, you might want to take that one in bite-sized pieces. <laughs> <laughs> But hence the need for, for the fiction, because you need, you need a, you need a steady diet of, you know, heavy and light just to keep the balance of your life. True, Uh, true. So second question is, what are you currently learning besides the bar? (laughs) (laughs) I am learning to be content and patient, persevering in my singleness, because I'm such a relationship person. Um, it's been a few years since I've been in a relationship, and it's tough, especially when you're someone with much as much energy as I have at my age. It's just really hard. <laughs> so um, just learning to be single, spending time with my sister and a couple of girlfriends. And, you know, like last weekend, I got away to Sedona with my sister and another one of my best girls. And yeah, just learning to be content. And, and using this for what I have. You know, what's really interesting is the, with all of the interviews that I've done and a lot of the interviews that are yet to be heard, there's a common theme. And I think it's been brought on because we're all in this weird space of <laughs> suspense mm-hmm. and that people are learning to become okay with the stillness. And be mm-hmm. okay with the quietness because honestly, we have we don't have any other choice. <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting that everybody is working on that, and I think that even though that this time is difficult and it's trying, and uh, no one wants it to end 
faster than me and probably mm-hmm. you and everybody that's listening to this. <laughs> I think that the good that's going to come out of this is that we might be a little bit more patient and we mm-hmm. might start to appreciate, like I said, the quiet and the stillness and, and to be okay with ourselves, um, warts and all. I mean, mm-hmm. because that's what I hear you explaining to me that you're, you're learning to be okay with you. And <laughs> I, I think that that is a, that is a, an, an absolute noble goal and something that we should all strive for because uh, we're, we're amazing. We're amazing yeah. and we hey, should be okay I'm, with ourselves. I agree. Yeah. I like to say I'm whiskey in a teacup. So yeah. <laughs> yeah whiskey in a teacup. That's right. Uh, my last question before I let you run away is what's mm-hmm. next? Uh, what's next for me? So, um, you know, really just focusing on a social action for the rest of this year with my sorority I'm making sure that this new job role that I'm in is um, something that I'm comfortable with because, you know, when you're starting something new, you're always hard on yourself when you're a high performer because you don't know much of all anything anymore um, when you're used to being the subject matter expert. So, um, again, just focusing on work and focusing on the things that I know that I still can do to give back to the community during this pandemic. Yeah, and I appreciate you doing that, and I'm sure that everybody listening to this appreciates that you have a heart for community and for service. Um, my last, act, this isn't a question, but this is a <laughs> statement, okay. is that we have lots of people listening, mm-hmm. and if you had one person's undivided attention that you knew that what you were going to say would change their lives. What is it that you'd like to say? Oh my gosh, that is deep. You are enough. That is something that I think we all need to hear. You, where you are today, with the issues that you have today, with the shortcomings that you have, with the talents, with the creativity, with the intelligence you have, you are enough. So just be you. You're the, you're the only and best you, no one else can do it better than you. Thank you. That is, I I love hearing that because that's Mm -hmm. something that we all have to remind ourselves Mm -hmm. all the time because we're so busy being um, human doers instead of (laughs) beings. Exactly. So thank you for reminding us that we are enough. Um, Thank you. I, I have enjoyed our time together. I appreciate your generosity of your time and the vulnerability that you are willing to be. And it it always amazes me that my guests are so honest with their feelings, even the raw ones. And I want to tell Mm -hmm. you that I appreciate and thank you for giving us a little bit of your heart. You are most welcome. You take care of you. I, I absolutely will. Thank you all to everyone who is listening and we'll see you again next time. That's our show. Before I let you go, I have some business that I need to get to. First, I want to thank my guests. I am continually awed at your generosity of spirit and the vulnerability that you continue to bring to our conversations. To you, my audience, you are incredible. 
Thank you for growing with me, and I hope that I continue to exceed your expectations. And to my team that helps me pull this off every single week. To our composer, Star Diva, who is amazingly talented. To Alan Bruckner, our graphic designer. Thank you for taking my crazy ideas and giving it life. To Savannah Boster, our social media manager. You do this so much better than I ever could. And last, but certainly not least, our producer, my number one son, Gavin Agan. Thank you for supporting your mom with her dream. I couldn't do this without you, kid. Please follow us on our socials at Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at arena underscore women. See you next week. so grateful for each and every one of you and your unwavering support and your continued belief in this movement that has become much bigger than me, much bigger than just a podcast. It has become this forward momentum that we are all doing together. If you are ready or you know somebody that is, that is ready to tell your story and share your value with the world, please connect with me. You can reach me at audra at womeninthearena.net. I am so honored and thankful that you will share your story with me, and I'll make sure that it is well taken care of. I will never stop thanking each and every one of you, and I cannot wait to talk to you again next week as we share another woman's story and we celebrate her doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We'll see you next time.